Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sequoia, and this is Diversity Be Like. I am here with award-winning writer and content creator, Kimberly Williams. Kim, do you prefer content creator or filmmaker? I, yeah, I don't, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) I I say that I'm a writer producer. I mean, that's what my title is, but I, so I write and produce anything. Gotcha. So award-winning writer and producer, (laughs) Kimberly Williams. (laughs) Kim is the founder of Inkspot Entertainment, the company behind a couple projects that you have probably heard of, including The Unwritten Rules and Everything I Did Wrong in My 20s. She also has some exciting new projects coming out, and we're going to talk about those a bit as well. So welcome, Kim. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. So I don't know if you intended to be a proponent in the conversation surrounding diversity or bias or any of that stuff, right? But you kind of are at this point. <laughs> so how yeah. do you define the concept of diversity, inclusion, equity, and respect? I mean, I define it as really everyone's voices being heard and authentic voice being heard or everyone having a seat at the table gotcha. and not on the side table, but at the actual table. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha. (laughs) And what do you mean by the side table? Just so that people can know what you're talking about. Well, because I, I have found, you know, like working in entertainment, they will give you a seat in the room, but you know, like when you do a table read, there's the table where the actors, producers, writers, and then there's the chairs that are around the room (laughs) that's around the table. And a lot of times people think that just because you're sitting in a chair, you're at the table. Mm. And so for me, diverse, true diversity or inclusion is when you're sitting at the actual table and not just in the room. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about the unwritten rules and how you came up with it. The unwritten rules is based on a book I wrote in 2004. Yeah, it was 2004. (laughs) I, I had to think about that. So basically, it was a book about my life in the workplace. And it wasn't just my life. It was my friend's life. And just the things that we were going through as the only black coworker I had a, at the time in the early 2000s, I had a book club that I had created and we would, and it was, it was a revolving door of maybe like 10 women, 10 black women. Okay. And okay. at every meeting, every book club meeting, we would literally talk about the book for maybe 10 minutes. And then we would spend three hours talking about what was going on at work, you know. (laughs) And so it was that thing like, wow, it's not just me going through it. And then you also a lot of times you second guess yourself because, again, you don't want to be seen as, oh, you're always thinking about race or it's Mm -hmm. always, you know, about But those conversations just really 
confirmed what I was feeling and what I was going through at work. So I, I was like, oh, let me write a book. <laughs> nice. And is the book still available? It, it, uh, kind of, sort of. <laughs> I mean, I have, I think maybe like a box left. I actually re so the unwritten rules was basically, I, I created the unwritten rules to sell the copies of the books that I had because <laughs> I had, I had found them. It was like 2011 and I had found these books in the closet. I had like, like a few boxes left. Well, it was like maybe eight boxes. And I was like, oh, I need to get rid of these books. And what can I do? And um, I created the web series really to be a commercial for me to get rid of the books. And then, of course, when the web series launched, I had to do a second printing of the book. So now all of those, that second printing, I probably have like two boxes left, you know. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So I still need to get a copy of the book. So I'll, I'll definitely hit you up about that after this. <laughs> but I think it's so funny. Like when I watched the, the web series, it was so relatable because I found myself being, until I moved to DC or to DMV, I found myself almost always being the only, if not the only person of color, the only black person on my teams. Or if I wasn't the only black person, I was the only black person that wasn't working in like customer service or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And so you had an episode that touched on that. And I was like, oh my God, that's my life. <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah, because when you, when you walk into a, and, and the funny thing is, so when I was creating, when I was writing the book, all of my girlfriends, my black girlfriends, we were working in the entertainment industry. So I was thinking that this was only the entertainment industry. So it wasn't until the book came out and people were buying the book and I was getting like emails or whatever saying, this is my, my life. And I was like, oh, so this <laughs> Outside of that, like this, I, like I, I didn't realize that it was everywhere. I mm -hmm. was just thinking it was the entertainment industry because like every job I would work, the reception, you know, I was the only black person. I was the only black, you know, as I rose up the ranks, I was a producer. So I was the only black producer. I was the only, a lot of times I was the only black crew member, <laughs> mm -hmm. but the receptionist would be black. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it was like, oh, OK, <laughs> or the male guy would be black, mm -hmm. you know. So. So, yeah. But I again, I thought that that was just the entertainment industry. No, that is everywhere. Yeah. I did have, you know, I worked at uh, an accounting firm. And so some one I think it was just one partner was black. And I think there may have been like three partners that were black in the entire United States at that particular time. They've changed since then. So I've noticed a few more. And um, there's a, a lady, a, a woman who is a black partner now as well that I remember when she was a managing director. And I'm super, super proud of her and how she was able to break that barrier because it's such a, you know, it's not common. And that wasn't just that particular organization. It's also uncommon across the big four at that time. It seems like it, it's changing now. So I'm glad about that. 
One thing that that black partner did (laughs) was he championed affinity groups to kind of get the people that were there together. And so we can kind of, you know, talk about the things that we dealt with in the workplace and talk about the things that were important to us and culturally different and all of that stuff. Have you ever been involved in any affinity groups at work? And do you think that they're important and relevant? Yes, I actually wrote an episode of The Unwritten Rules about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, I've been in a few. (laughs) You know, I and I I don't I don't want to be like the negative Nancy. (laughs) But, you know, I at one point I had to like step away because for me, it was like, okay, yeah, you have these groups, but nothing is getting accomplished because the people who are making the decisions are not part of these these groups. Even, you know, in my case, the high level, the executive black people weren't a, a part of these groups. It was only the lower level black people. Gotcha. So we would, we would meet. And we would complain and, but it's like, okay, but what, what's the ask or what's the outcome? What's the point of us meeting? Yeah. And it it was at one point I was like, this is just, it's not serving me because I'm not getting anything out of it. And, And again, until people who are in positions to make change, join the conversation. Right. You know, I've stopped a, a while, you know, a while ago, I, I decided, because I was just sick of going to diversity panels. And you go to these panels and it's just all black people on the panel. And yeah, you're we all are going through the same thing. So, you know, everyone tells their story and you have these conversations and nothing comes out of it because no one is attending who can actually affect change. Right. Right. And so, right. you know. <laughs> right. I was thankful, like I said, the partner that was the black partner <laughs> that he championed our group. I don't remember. It's been so long ago. And another thing is that was my first job outside of college too. So that was my introduction to the world of work. So at that particular time, I didn't realize how abnormal that was. And since then, (laughs) now that I've worked a few other places, I definitely recognize, recognize that. And I think I'm like you, I think it can be beneficial, but only if the people who can make a true difference are listening and and have a seat um, Mm -hmm. at the table as well. And aren't just in the room, (laughs) that they're actually at the table. At the table. (laughs) (laughs) So before you wrote the book, would you have considered yourself an active participant in diversity advocacy? Yeah, because at every at every workplace that. Well, almost every workplace that I've been, I was always known as like the militant black girl. You know, because I could always speak up mm-hmm. <laughs> when something, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you speak up or when you say no, 
you're just labeled as the militant black girl. Mm-hmm. So everyone, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I found that I would get treated differently depending on how I wore my hair at work. So if I wore my hair straight, I would be treated one way. If I wore my, if I dared to wear my Afro <laughs> to work, I would be treated a different way. If I wore two strand twists, and it wasn't even just non-black people. Some of the worst of it came from other black, from people, black people. Yeah. yeah. Um, and black women in particular. And I think it's because, you know, there's some generational things there too. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you're supposed to be prim and proper and well kept and you're supposed to present yourself a certain way that's professional and having natural hair didn't always fit that mold for some of them. But I think for me, it was just, I remember one job, I was there for five years. And within the first month, I said no to something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So So I think early on, and especially in the entertainment industry, I've been labeled as difficult or militant or whatever you want to call me for daring to say no like how it were (laughs) (laughs) you're just difficult anyway oh (laughs) that's funny you know what's funny is you taught me one of the biggest lessons I think I've had in my professional career and it was inadvertent I don't think you even probably realized it or thought anything of it But I remember we I don't even remember what we were talking about, but I remember we had a conversation and you mentioned how when you're off, you are off. (laughs) You don't answer calls. You don't you know, and if they do ask you a question, it's like, okay, is this paid? Do I need to clock time for this? Because. And they will say that you're difficult for doing that. (laughs) (laughs) But it was such a big lesson for me because it taught me the value of my time. Because before that, I was somebody that I always wanted to be available and I wanted to make sure I was a team player and all of this. But you wind up doing that sometimes to your own detriment. And so doing that really taught people. and, And it was like you said how they'll figure it out. And if it's important and enough, and if they don't figure it out, they will figure it out when I get in the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. part. Right. So and it's funny because even with leaving jobs, I use that same thing. Like I have one of my friends and I feel kind of bad because I know actually I don't. I'm not going to say I feel bad because I don't. I felt bad for him, not me. <laughs> <laughs> but we used to work together. I left and, you know, I did the marketing for his campaigns. And so, you know, he had a couple questions for me after. And I told everybody, I was like, hey, I'm leaving. This is my last day. So if you have any questions, please make sure that you get them to me by this day. I'm going to write my notes and then I'll have them for you, you know, so that, that you can have them. But once I'm gone, you know, I work for somebody else now. You know, I don't yeah, need, <laughs> you know, somebody else is paying my check. You're not getting free labor out of me, you know. Mm-hmm. And I had mm-hmm. to have that conversation with him again recently because he posted something about work and I mentioned it and he was like, well, you said I couldn't talk to you about work. And I was like, I didn't say that. I said, you couldn't ask me work questions. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, you know, I've always been um, a proponent of my time. Like I always value my time. Mm-hmm. And again, that's why, you know, going back to panels and mixers and things like that, it's like, 
that's still my time. Mm-hmm. And so if I, if I am not, if it's not benefiting me, I'm not doing it. There's not a need to <laughs> you know, spend like, your time there. My time. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, and I, I learned that and I don't know who I learned that from, but <laughs> I don't remember, but I've always been like that on jobs Mm -hmm. and just even, I mean, even on a personal level, you know, especially now as I'm older, it's like, if I don't, if I don't want to like go like that, if it's a waste of my time, Mm -hmm. no, you're not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that makes perfect sense. You're not getting, you're not getting that from me, you know? And I think one thing that people don't understand is when you are, an entrepreneur and a creative and you just have a lot of things going on, you really don't have a lot of time. You don't have the time. And so, you know, you're like me, you have 50 million different things going on. So I want to talk a little bit about those two. I know you have Jincotti and a couple of other things. I know that you're over and, and this is, this is my proud sister description of what you're doing. You're building the entire film infrastructure in Africa. That's what I tell everybody. So regardless of what it is, that's what I tell everybody. Added infrastructure. <laughs> I'm I'm coming and I'm adding to it, but the infrastructure was already there. So well, if you hear people saying that you went over and you built the whole infrastructure on the whole continent, it came from me. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about that and a little bit about your work there. And then we can segue into some of the other things that you're doing. Cause I know a lot of them are tangentially related. For me, like with Ink Spot, when I started Ink Spot and I realized like with the, uh, the Unwritten Rules was the first production of Ink Spot. And when I, when I did the book, I got, I would get emails or whatever. But when the Unwritten Rules came out, it was a whole nother level, right? And I realized then that, like, how important our voice, my voice as a Black female was, you know, with the Unwritten Rules. And so I really, with Ink Spot, I was like, okay, I want to dedicate my energy, my creativity to really build and create authentic voices of Black people, of, you know, Black voices. So it was just a natural I, I progression or, or next step mm-hmm. for me to move to Africa, because once I start visiting Africa, I realized that even though, you know, they're the majority, they still, they were not like telling their stories. Someone else was always telling their stories, whether it was a white person or a black American, you know? And so I really wanted to, to like encourage and build their voices like on the continent and let them know that they can really just tell their own stories. I think you know? that is so dope. Yeah, I mean, because, and I, I, I didn't want to be the American coming in because I would, I've done workshops there and they were always like, oh, can you write 
can you write this story? And I'm like, no, because for me, it's just as bad as a white person coming to write about the, you know, Rwanda genocide. I, as as an American, even a black American, I have no business writing about the Rwanda genocide. It's like, no, you guys write about the Mm -hmm. Rwanda, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? And so that's what I'm trying to encourage with there. stories in general, what's your thought on that? I mean, it, it sounds like a, it's pretty straightforward of what I be, what I think you believe, but the idea of people being able to write stories that aren't necessarily from their own purview, but they are a talented writer who's who's gifted in that with that skill set. Should you have somebody who? is a gifted writer who can tell stories, tell a story because they're gifted and can tell it? Or should someone who may not be as gifted tell that story just because it's their story to tell? Well, I mean, for me, my thought is, and and that's why I'm trying to build like collaboration. And so I'm like, I don't mind collaborating with someone to help them tell their story. Okay. But I don't want to be the person telling their story. I'm I'm actually I'm working on a new series that I had planned to shoot here in America and with COVID and I was I was locked down in South Africa for nine months. And so I was talking to another producer in South Africa because she was asking me what are you working on? And I'm like, Oh, this is, you know, I'm working on this series. And she was like, why don't you shoot it here? And I was, I really went back and forth with it because I was like, uh, I don't really want to, you know, (laughs) like, and she was like, but Kim, it's a universal story. Like, it's not, it's not about like, say the genocide or whatever. And so I was like, uh, okay. And so I'm doing it, but even I'm in the middle of writing it, but even with writing it, like I had to change some, you know, the dialogue and and some of the things because, you know, it was meant for to shoot here in Los Angeles and now I'm shooting it in Joburg. But even after I'm writing it, I'm bringing on someone, a South African writer to do like a pass for all and all for all the scripts to make it authentic to South Africa, you know, mm-hmm. because I'm like, I'm not South African. So if I'm going to shoot this here, yeah, it needs to be, it needs to be an authentic voice. I also yeah. wonder about the idea of um, when you've reached a certain level, I think sometimes you have a responsibility to help bolster other people to that level as well. And so if you, as a filmmaker, as a writer, as a producer, have had a level of success that you know wasn't available to someone in South Africa who is very capable, it seems to me like it supports them by you bringing them on to collaborate and tell Mm -hmm. this story. And I think we see a lot of that with stories of Black Americans and how you know, a lot of times they're not told by black writers, Mm -mm. but it feels like how nice would it be 
if black writers were brought on to support that storytelling and mm-hmm. to learn and to, you know, have that opportunity and, and to do all the things that come with it, you know, to gain the point so that they might be able to join <laughs> different unions and things like that. But I think that we've been so and I will say American because I've been in America, but I think in America is such a I culture mm-hmm. and especially like like in the industry in the entertainment industry here it's like even people who have made it are not really have really made it so they feel that they can't you know mm-hmm. <laughs> you know because mm-hmm. again they just have a, a seat in one of the chairs they don't mm-hmm. have a safe you mm-hmm. know what I mean so mm-hmm. they're like I'm not going to sacrifice or my place in the room to bring someone else in because mm-hmm. I'm in I, I'm in the room. Um, whereas I have found being in Johannesburg, it's really it's a community, which is one of the reasons why I moved in the first place because I really wanted to again create the way that I wanted to create in the space that I wanted to create Mm -hmm. in. And I really wanted to focus on collaborating with people. And it's just really difficult to do here, you know, in in the States, because everyone is always, I, I remember with Inkspot, me trying to collaborate with people and bring people on to like just ink spot and everyone always, Oh, well, what about getting paid? What about it? And it's like, I'm not even getting paid. You know? Right. <laughs> right. And then it's like, well, you know, can I get a percentage of the company? And I'm like, what? Yeah. You know? like, and that's always it- so odd. Like I had a, um, a lady when I started Mocha stock, this woman, told me that she wanted to be a co-founder with me and that she wanted part of the company and that her contribution would be that she knew other photographers. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> it's like, um, no, I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> I had someone, they, cause I was looking for like a, a business development person. Mm-hmm. And at this point I had had unwritten rules, everything I did wrong. But again, I wasn't making money from it. Like I had never been paid Mm -hmm. from it, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I was looking for someone to like join the team. And then as you brought in business, you got a percentage of that. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And they wanted a percentage of Inkspot. And I was like, wait, (laughs) I'm supposed to give you like, really? That one. So I, I do marketing. So that one's a hard one for me because I do have people that come to me and they want, because at the end of the day, right, it's work for us. And I understand your perspective. I understand the other side. I understand both sides, but it's also work for us. And so we're Mm -hmm. actively doing work that we may never get paid on for reasons that have absolutely nothing to do with us or the work that we did. So. Not to say I agree with it, but I understand <laughs> where they yeah. were coming from, too. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just like, I'm not giving you a percentage of a comp- my company. Right. right. When when I don't even know what you could do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you haven't even proven yourself. I'm just going to give you a percentage as an employee. Right. Because you said that you can do this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're giving uh, out percentages of companies, you could just give me some too, since, yeah, right? <laughs> since apparently that's a thing. People just expect you to give it out. <laughs> so, but yeah, so yeah. Being a woman and a person of color in general leaves you at an interesting intersection. How has that informed your career, including the different things that you're working on? Meaning, how has it affected? Yeah. My- I mean, I just, I, I have just always kind of moved. I I don't think that it affects it in a way. Do you think that you had certain experiences maybe that led to different things that led to different projects or you're, you're thinking about certain things or any of that? No, I mean, the thing is, like, every project that I've done, it's just really an extension of me. Mm-hmm. And so my work is just an extension of me and wanting to see, wanting my voice to be heard. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know that it has, um, yeah, of course, I've had different experiences because I'm a woman I've had different experience because I'm black. I've had different experiences because I'm a black woman. But they haven't like altered like my my plans or my my goals. You okay. know what I mean? Gotcha. And I think too, I have it and that that's why it's so important for me. You know, I always talk about like ownership and not not begging for a seat mm-hmm. but building your own table mm-hmm. <laughs> and so because I'm at my own table alone by myself I don't you know <laughs> like I'm not trying to get into the door I'm not, like I'm not so it really so my movement is all about me and what I want and I, I I'm not even thinking about <laughs> Gotcha. Gotcha. I know that makes sense. I'm not thinking about anyone else, you know? That makes sense. I think. Or I don't, yeah. One of the things that I always really admired about you, and we talked about this recently, was when different people would come and they would try to buy the rights to unwritten rules or everything I did wrong in my 20s and how. You know, some people would have been like, oh, man, that's it. And they would have jumped at it. But how you held true to your vision for the projects that you created. And that makes a lot of sense if you're like, I'm at my table. So if if you can't make my table better, (laughs) you know. And, you know, like it's it's like I've been in, you know, the business for a while. I'm like. Yeah, I don't know how to pitch because I've never pitched because mm-hmm. I, I feel I don't have to pitch. You know, mm-hmm. like my work, you know, if you want to see my work, go look at my work. Like yeah. I'm not pitching you an idea or I'm not because for me, if I have an idea, I'm just going to go out and make it and mm-hmm. then you can see it. And if you're interested, 
there you go. But uh, yeah, I'm like, no. I love that because I think what happens a lot of times is we have this conversation about, oh, you know, with the Oscar so white and and with some of these other things about us not being allowed at the table. But, you know, I know you and, and, you know, I had Nicole J. Butler on the show and just others, you know, like the Issa Rays of the world and, you know, different folks who are, you know, making a way for their own self, you know, and then even if you look at it's not just people of color, Mm-hmm. But you look at folks like Ben Stiller, you know, mm-hmm. who he couldn't really, if you follow his story, he didn't really get the types of roles that he wanted. So he created them, you he know, them. and yeah. he yeah. was, you know, his dad was an actor, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. he had mm-hmm. what some would call a leg up and he still said, you know, I'm not getting what I want. So he created his his seat. And I love the fact that we that you and, and that some of us who do self-produce are taking that that back, you know, that power back or mm-hmm. we're, we're being like, you know, Lucille Ball, you know, and, and mm-hmm. creating our own thing that we can call our own and doing it in the way that we want to do it. Yeah, no, I, I remember like after the unwritten rules, like I would meet with people and they would be like, oh, well, you know, I want to work with you and let's see, like, what what are the studios buying? You know, like, let's write something. They're looking at this genre. And I was like, I don't I don't care. What <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I'm not writing for them. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not. You know, like, I'm writing what I want to write. I don't care what's in season you know Mm -hmm. because it just it doesn't matter like for me it really doesn't matter like I'm not concerned with that and earlier in my career like I used to look what you know read variety and I knew what projects like when I was working at a studio I knew what people were buying and now I'm not even I'm so far removed from that because for me, I just don't, it doesn't matter. And I, I really don't want to know, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I, re- I remember when the unwritten rules, I was writing the unwritten rules. The first season was literally chapters from my book, same dialogue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And someone read the unwritten rules scripts. And she was like, you can't, you can't do this. And I'm like, why? Oh, this is too much. This is the awkward black girl. You're copying the awkward black girl. And I was like, this isn't. <laughs> like, first of all, this is from my book written in 2004. Right. <laughs> and, how, and, and really, it wasn't the, I, to me, it wasn't the awkward black girl. It was just the only similarity was that both leads were black right you know but like people try and put you in boxes and this was from a black woman you know what i mean and that is a part that gets so frustrating but do you think that they went and told you know the people who did how i met your mother no you can't do this because there was friends right right (laughs) you know and i'm like what the And, and so now it's like you just and I, I call that noise, you know, mm-hmm. so it's like I want to create without the noise. Mm-hmm. And I think 
that's a benefit of me being in Joburg because mm-hmm. I really don't have any idea what's going on <laughs> in Hollywood. <sighs> well, right now, technically nothing, but <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but in a normal situation, I'm 100 mm-hmm. percent with you. Tell me a little bit about Jinkati and what you got going on with that. So Jinkati, so when I was creating content on YouTube, I kept saying, no, I'm creating because I'm a Generation X woman. And I kept I was like adamant, like this is Gen X content. You know, this is for me. And so for the first year of um of unwritten rules. I never, I didn't even know how to look at the analytics on YouTube. So I, I was like, okay. <laughs> so I just assumed <laughs> that it was dinner. I had a generation X audience because that's who I was creating it for. And it w- actually the first two seasons, cause it wasn't until everything I did wrong in my twenties mm-hmm. where I first looked at the analytics. Mm-hmm. And again, I, everything I did wrong in my twenties. So I was for sure that I was creating that the audience was my age. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I find found out that my core audience on YouTube were millennials. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, but that's not, <laughs> that's not who I'm for. Like, what? But then of course, millennials were on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And so I, after finding that out, I just had it in the back of my mind. I was like, I really want to create content for Black Gen X women because no one is creating content. Like no one have them in mind mm-hmm. when they're creating. Mm-hmm. Not even, you know, we used to have Essence, but Essence is now skewed to millennials. And you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. when you read essence content. So I just, I just really wanted to create something for women um, my age. And so I created Jen, Jen Cotty. Cotty is middle in Swahili. So it's the middle generation. And yeah, it's, it's a digital platform aimed to generation X black women on a global platform. So it's black women all over the world. Nice. So I'm really excited. I I had the idea what 2018. So it's taken me a long time, but I just really wanted to get it right. And so I'm um, launching it this year. Okay. Finally, finally, <laughs> finally. Do you have a, a time frame? I do. I you know, Earl. I'm gonna say early. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so you'll have to come back. Yeah. And talk to us again after you launched it. I love this conversation because I think what it really all boils down to and what I hear you saying is that, yes, there is bias in a lot of the places that we find ourselves from the workplace to the actual things that we want to do, whether that be in front of or behind the camera. But the way to overcome that bias is not to focus on the bias, but to create our own lanes. Yeah, because we you can't. We can't do anything about the bias, you know? So, I, I you know, at, at, at a certain point, you just have to, like, I just got tired of trying to work around the bias. And it's like, you know what? I'm cool. <laughs> like, y'all keep mm-hmm. y'all, you know, 
Because, you know, being at a studio, I, I would just see it all the time where they would bring in a diversity hire, but the diversity hire had no authority. They were only there to be the diversity hire. Sometimes they would promote the diversity person to a manager, but they would never promote them to run a department. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's like, unless like, even in like the Oscar so white conversation, I was like, it, it, like, it doesn't matter unless you're having diverse people being able to green light a project. It doesn't matter how many people, how many executives you hire, whether it's a manager level, a VP level, even a SVP level, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It just doesn't matter, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I just got tired of having those conversations. And that makes sense. And so I think that's, really um it empowers people more so than um just feeling like well I mean there's bias so you know Mm -hmm. or even just feeling like you have to fight bias because I think a lot of the conversations that I'm having even on this podcast are talking some of us um are talking about how to fight bias in different ways that things have changed and and stuff like that and I think it's interesting because you you've said, you know, I'm not going to fight it. I'm just going <laughs> to do my own thing. The thing is, I don't think you can fight it Okay. until the system and even like with racism on a, what's going on in America. I just think until like everything has to be broken down and fall down completely and build back up from the ground and until that happened you're never it's <laughs> so what that looks like then you know with us talking about creating content that's black content or content for people of color whichever term people choose to use I think some people would say is that not doing the very thing that we're saying we don't want to happen is that creating bias in other ways against other people. And what would you say to that? No, because our voices have never been heard. You know what I mean? And so it's like, it's really just rounding out what's out there, if that makes sense. Because if if your voice isn't heard, well, and authentic voice Mm -hmm. because you know we we do have black voices out there but they're not authentic or they're Mm one-sided because for me you know I am uh I would consider myself a middle-class black person so I don't want to Every time I look for something black, I don't want it to be the hood or drugs or because that's not my my reality. And right. for the longest, we've been forced to consume it. And then we've been made guilty if we don't want to consume it because you're not supporting black, you know. Right. And it's like, no, like I why am I not being heard? Right. And so I put something out that's me in a sea of everything else. If you want to say that it's a bias, (laughs) 
<laughs> bias, have at it. But yeah, right. it's just really kind of rounding out what's out there. Yeah, know? that makes sense. What's yeah. one myth that you would like to debunk as it relates to diversity, particularly in entertainment? Really, just because you have like black executives and are, you know, black people working, black staff or black crew, that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything until black people have a seat at the table and can actually green light projects, can make key decisions. It just it means nothing. You know, it's funny when you say that, because I know we talked about the idea of having a seat at the table versus being in the room. But there's another quote that I've heard that is along the lines of some people are so excited to have a place at the table. They don't even realize they're on the plate. Yes. And right? that's what that reminds yeah. me of what you're saying now. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I've made it in the room mm-hmm. and not even realizing that. You have no, like, you have no power. You have, like, you can't, you can't even, like, in fact, change. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, like, and that you're only there for, you know, the optics. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, but, and some people, they're okay with that because, again, it's we've been trained and taught to believe that, oh, once you make it to this level, <laughs> you're at the table, you know? Yeah. 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 So tell me, when people think of Inkspot Entertainment, what's the lasting legacy that you wanted to have? That we were an authentic voice for black people. Or we were that we were an authentic black voice. Okay. When people think of Kim Williams, what's the lasting legacy that you want to leave behind? That I was a black creator that advocated authentic voices of black people. You know, what's really funny is that when we have this conversation, and I think you and I have talked a little bit about it before, but you are very, very, very unapologetic about using the term black, which I love. Yes. Right. I tend to waver back and forth between black and people of color. And I do that mainly because of Mocha Stock, because the work that I do tends to be diversity across the board, multicultural diversity. But we're, you know, getting into other types of diversity as well. Is there a particular reason that you use black as opposed to people of color? Because I think black people are the only people like when you Look at Asian people. Asian people don't call themselves people of color. They call themselves Asian. When you look at a Mexican, they they call themselves Mexican. They don't call themselves people of color. I think black people, again, it's one of those things where to get into the room mm-hmm. <laughs> and to make it comfortable, mm-hmm. <laughs> we say people of color. But I, I'm black. You know, and so that's who I am. So, yeah, I'm like, I don't, I don't care. Like, (laughs) (laughs) it is what it is. And I don't even like, you know, African American because for me, I'm speaking for all black people 
everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. I can I consider Even myself black. Not, we do have differences. Mm-hmm. Our core is the same. And that's me knowing, like me traveling all over Africa and in Europe. I mean, black people everywhere, we're going through the exact same. I think your perspective on those things change when you travel. Yeah. Because like I was saying, I consider myself black. I don't, I'll say African-American in times where I have to, because that's a box that's on a form um, Mm -hmm. that I need to check or something like that. But when I reference myself, I reference myself as black. Yeah. And when I create, I'm creating for all black people Mm -hmm. because again, we've been ignored and we've, our image has been adapted and, you know, kind of screwed up by other. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah. So it's like, yeah, when I, when I talk about what, the reason why I'm doing it and what I create, I create for black people, period. And I, I, you know, I was, I had this conversation not too long ago with someone because she, I, I was talking to someone about Jen Cotty and collaborating and she wanted to say people, women of color. And I'm like, I don't, I mean, I don't really care about other women besides, <laughs> like, I, I only care about black women. So I'm like, so if other women of color want to, they're welcome. But that's not who I create for. In terms that's of not the... what Jinkati is for. Jinkati is for black women. Yeah. You know? In so terms of the it's... stories that you create, you're yes. creating stories for, for black, black women. women. I don't want anybody to take that sound bite and try to <laughs> say that there was something different than what you meant. What she's yes. saying is that the she creates voice. stories for the black voice. women. My voice, because I am a black woman. So my voice is that of a black voice. Right. So if other people want to view the story or watch the story, they're welcome to, but I am only creating for black people. And Yakati is a platform for black women. So, and period. (laughs) (laughs) And the thing is, but that's the thing too. It's like, we feel like we need to explain and make it softer. And we do, we do try to make things more palpable for, for everybody. And I, I, I don't like, I am done with that, you know? So, you know, it's, (laughs) <laughs> but it it is what it is. So, <laughs> so where can people reach you, and how can they best support? Whether it be Ink Spot or Jen Cotty or you know, wh- how would you like us to best support you, and where can we reach you? So you can subscribe to Ink Spot Media Group is the website, and it has all of my my brands on there. So. You can subscribe there. And then I am, it's also on Facebook. Inkspot Entertainment is on Facebook and Instagram at Inkspot E. Jenkati hasn't launched yet, but Jenkati has Facebook and a, um Instagram page as well. Can you spell it? 
Gencati is G-E-N-K-A-T-I. Okay. And then my newest brand, The Wander Experience, it is again on Inks uh, on Facebook and um, Instagram. And The Wander Experience is travel concierge company that create experiences in different, mainly in Africa, but it's curated black experiences (laughs) (laughs) so when you're in a country you know when you're when you travel and you want a black experience or you want to go where black the black people are because that's where I'm always whenever I travel (laughs) regardless I'm always like okay where are the black people (laughs) (laughs) so we specialize in creating black experiences in travel. And we also um, launched, we're launching our first retreat in August for black women (laughs) all over. (laughs) It's a 10 day retreat that happens in a location on the African continent. This year, our first retreat will be in Marrakesh, Morocco. And we're going to be hosted at Janae Tamsna, which is the only Black-owned boutique hotel in in Morocco. So um, the retreat, the purpose of the retreat is to gather 10 Black women and have them to network and build relationships with local, with other local Black women. So, and, and then also to retreat and re-energize and, and fellowship. So that is the wanderexperience.com. I love it. I think one thing that I really respect about you and about your stance is not only, uh, like I said, it's unapologetically black, which is great. Mm. But the thing that I appreciate is the fact that you don't, like some people get caught up in the idea of, well, what if, what if we started, you know, a, a travel club just for white women and, the thing is, you don't care. You're like, do what you gonna I do. I'm care. doing what I'm gonna do. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think that's where you know things get murky is because you always have that question. Well, what if we just did this that was just Hispanic women, or what if we just did this that was white women and or Asian is, women? Or you should, you should go and do that. <laughs> like, if that's what you want to do. You should go do that. So, but I, but I can you know, appreciate as that. As a black woman, we just. We don't have those spaces. We mm-hmm. always, we are always forced to fit into someone else's space. Mm-hmm. And and as mature black women, it's not even the spaces that are created for black women are always. I find like Generation X black women are always forced to fit into a millennial black woman space, mm-hmm. and it's like. Mm-hmm. What about the space for us? And you there's know? a difference. I went to um I went on a trip to Europe last year and I went through this I went to London and then I found this travel package to go to Paris for the new year. And I can't even remember mm-hmm. the name of the company. I'm glad I can't because I probably shouldn't say it anyway. But uh-huh. they were specifically for eighteen to thirty five year olds, right? Mm-hmm. 
And I went on the trip and I had a blast, but I was like, I get why they're for 18 to 35 year olds. And mm-hmm. now that I've aged out of that because I'm 36, I, I can't see myself mm-hmm. going on one of those. Right. Because mm-hmm. it's like they're staying in hostile type housing, and yeah. all of this stuff. And it's like, I'm just at a different point in my life. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to if I'm going to go somewhere and I'm going to stay somewhere, I want to stay somewhere that's nicer than my house. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the thing, because in my 20s, when I would travel, I would stay at guest houses. And but as I'm I'm now 46 and I, I joke, um, it's a running joke with one of my friends, because I'm like, you know, when I turned 40, I became bougie. So <laughs> it's like, I like nice hotel. You know, I like experiences now. Mm-hmm. Like when I travel, I'm not out in a club, you mm-hmm. know, like I want a really nice dinner and I can't, you know, so I care about those. Those types of things. And even when I'm consuming content, it's the same thing. That's why, you know, like at 46, I don't necessarily want to see a movie about uh, the drug game or the, you know, a bunch of cheating and people calling each other out their names. Or why is it, you know, like I don't want to necessarily see when it comes to black people or you know black films i'm tired of seeing like relationships movies or Mm -hmm. again drug movies or you know like i want to see just what about just a good story what about like personal growth what Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. it's it's like you as you age your tastes change yeah and so, you know, like, and so I'm like, okay, I want to cater. Really, I want to cater to me, you yeah. know, when I'm creating, whether it's a travel brand, a digital platform, or just stories, you know, like content, I, I'm, I'm talking to me. You and know? you've been wildly successful doing that. And I love it. I think that is yeah. so amazing. And I think it's such a testament to what you do and just a a testimony for others to know that, you know, the way that you overcome some of these things that we've been talking about throughout this podcast series is that you create, you, you, you take ownership of the things that you can take ownership of. And that's the, that can be one solution for how you overcome this. So. And I and I also think as you get older, your different your definition of success change. And so, you know, when I was younger creating, I think and and we've been trained as to what success is. Mm-hmm. And so it's like you're creating to sell it. You're creating to get an audience. Mm-hmm. You, you know, like now I'm creating to get it done. Mm-hmm. And for me, success is getting it done. It's not success doesn't come with selling it. Mm-hmm. Success doesn't come with 50 million views. So for me, if 10 people watch it and it touches 10 people, that is success for me. You know what I mean? And so I think we have to unlearn the things that we've been been taught so you've got to rewrite the rules so maybe that's your next that's your next book (laughs) and not worry about you know as black people because the thing is you know they will tell you oh you can't sell that you can't it's like you can't do this you can't 
So it's like stop asking for permission to do things because no one will ever give you full permission because you're black. <laughs> you, know, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's a black story. Mm-hmm. So you will never get the full. Not so to mention you'll it. never get full permission because it's not your money. You know what I mean? There's also that part. That, that too. Yeah, is that too. But yeah, so it's like just do it and and start and when you do it and it's authentic i'm always i've always been a believer of they will come mm-hmm. you know what i mean it will it will come well yeah. i love it thank you so much kim for being with me today and having this Thanks conversation i can't wait to have you back when jincotti launches and for us to talk about all the dope stuff that comes from that super excited about it again you told us the places where we can reach you so we'll make sure that we have those in the show notes so everybody can check you out and that's it folks that's it for another episode of diversity be like so be sure to check us out online you can follow us on facebook instagram and twitter at at sign diversity be like you can also shoot us an email at podcast at mochastock.com and feel free to join the conversation on social media on your favorite channel using the hashtag diversity be like let us know what you think of this episode send kim some good vibes for jen Cotty. And send me some good vibes for for Diversity Be Like because, you know, this is still new and I'm still, you know, I'm still nervous about it. So, (laughs) but I'm excited. So thank you. And we'll talk to you soon. 